Well, it's great to see everybody this morning. My name's Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. We've got a few newer faces. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for sitting down so you can take your mask off. What weird times. Um, but hey, we're finding our way through one day at a time. Today is in the church calendar, Palm Sunday. So it's the day when the church in the world remembers um, a, a specific event as it remembers a week of Jesus's life leading up to the day he was crucified and then the, the morning that he rose from the grave. And so if you're anything like me for the last, oh, I don't know, year or so, um, you haven't really necessarily been tracking the specific days of the week. For me, I can hardly even tell what hour of the day it is, let alone what day of the week it is, let alone what week of the month it is, let alone what month of the year it is. All I really know is sun up or sun down. And it appears sun up right now, but somebody may have passed a law to make that different. So I'm just going to go hesitantly with all signs point to daytime at some time. Anyhow, so um, Palm Sunday snuck up on me a little bit, but... Um, I want to incorporate Palm Sunday into our slideshow, if that's available to come in. So we're looking at just this time of human history, and my faith is that God is using this time for the good of the church. Even though it's difficult for everyone in the world, even though many things are being upheaved, because my belief is that God is accomplishing his mission to gather to himself children from every tribe and tongue and nation throughout the entire world. And God doesn't get sick and he doesn't take vacations every single moment of every single day. God is gathering for his son, Jesus, the reward for his sufferings, which is blood-bought worshipers. And so I'm assuming that these days are doing this. In the meantime, I think God is doing really good things for the church. And if you were with us a few weeks ago when we had our first message, the big thing I was laboring in is that I think now is a wonderful time to be reminded that God is greater than everything, greater than every nation, greater than every treasure, greater than anything you could ever think you might gain or lose. The God of the universe who made all things is greater than everything. And just having him, Knowing him and having him through Jesus is the greatest treasure of life. And it's such a great treasure that you can't even lose him. Part of the good news of Jesus is that you don't lose God. When you die, you don't lose him. Even your death, which is like the most feared thing right now, is just actually the moment where you get to know God face to face. And so I'm laboring. And Sometimes I've been talking to you. God wants to work sermons into my heart every single day. I'm like, God, I want to know you better. I need to know how great you are. I went and told everybody that you're greater than everything, and I don't feel like I'm living it, so would you keep working in my heart? Reveal yourself to me. I need to know you. I need to know you deeper. I need to know you greater. I need you to keep showing me the greatest treasure of my life. Last time we got together and I was speaking, and I have no idea when it was. It was sometime between January and now. Um, I was laboring in making the point that God thinks his word is more powerful than anything. And so I was just making the point, we got to trust his word and depend on his word. God says that all of the nations are fading already, but his word stands forever. So let's trust it. Let's believe in it. Let's be in it. Let's be hearing it. Today I want to look at the Palm Sunday story from the Gospel of Matthew, and I want to make the point, among many points, that Jesus loves prayer. 
And the reset of the church is involving a heightened call to life of prayer as individuals and together. But I'm going to make this point right around the middle that Jesus wants his people to be a praying people. Amen? You don't have to say amen because I haven't done anything yet. But I'm telling you. All right, a little bit of backstory because it's really helpful. I know there's lots of folks who aren't in the Bible all the time, and this can be kind of weird. You know, it's like there's millions of people in North America who celebrate Christmas and have no idea about Jesus. Christmas is just that time when flat screens are cheap. Amen? Christmas is the time when the retail stores finally go into the black for the year by selling the latest X X wing box, whatever, one, zero, we, with two eyes, which isn't how you spell we, whatever. It's actually a time of celebrating Jesus being born, Christmas. But we lose it in the mix. And you know what? Uh, Easter, which is next weekend, is like that too. We do it. So many of us have no idea what it's about. But just culture and repetition and days off from school catch us up and we do stuff involving eggs for no particular reason. But here's the two-minute Pastor Rob summary. Jesus came down from heaven as a little baby, was born from the Virgin Mary, spent most of the first 30 years of his life doing almost nothing. As in, we have almost no stories about those early years. He was kind of in hiding, kind of just waiting, kind of just biding his time, waiting for the right moment. Then it happened, John the Baptist came and started calling the nation that uh, he was ministering in, Israel. He was calling them to repent. He wanted them to get ready because somebody incredibly important was coming. And they weren't ready. Their relationships weren't ready. Their hearts weren't ready. Their nation wasn't ready. And so he came and said, you guys need to repent, which means to change your mind, to come back to God, to stop living for yourselves and start living with the God who made you afresh. And um, John the Baptist came and he was washing people in this river called the Jordan River, which was bigger than the rivers we have around here and hopefully a little bit cleaner, but not too much. And people would come and they say, I want to get clean. I want to come back to God. And he would say, let's wash you. And they baptized him as a sign that people were turning back to God. Now, Jesus came and got baptized, and he spent roughly three years ministering. And what I mean by that is he would travel around, and he would teach people about God, and he would teach people how God wanted them to live, and he would love them, and he'd do miracles for them, and he would um, call them and give them purpose and renewal in their life. And sometimes he'd get a little bit famous, and so he'd run away into the desert because he didn't want to be too famous yet. And sometimes he'd do something um, a little bit controversial, and the fuzz would start being on his tail a little bit, and so he'd go hide away for a little bit then because it wasn't the right time yet. And he spent three years doing these miracles, and he was building a name, and he was becoming more and more famous. He was becoming the greatest celebrity and public figure in Israel at the time. Three years of an entire nation hearing. Did you hear this story about this guy named Jesus from Nazareth again? Apparently, everyone was like starving, and then he took a few pieces of bread and fish, and then he fed everybody with it. And then he disappeared. Supposedly, he walked on water, but uh, who knows? All those people out in Galilee, they drink too much anyways. You can't believe. You know, it'd be like that. Three years of gossip, three years of rumor, three years of, wait, he's coming to our town. Oh my goodness. 
Cleopas is walking. <laughs> you know, that guy that we pushed off of the scaffold three weeks ago. <laughs> His legs both broke. Now he's walking around. What, what happened? It could have been. Could it, could have been, could it, could it, could have been? And after three years of Jesus going around, sometimes really publicly, sometimes really secretively, sometimes in the open with crowds, sometimes just hidden with small people, doing amazing things, saying things that people never heard before, he was at the height of his fame. And people were beginning to really hope that this was the one. Because the nation of Israel for years had been dominated by the empire of Rome. And so there were Romans living in their cities um, with swords, taxing them, ruling over them, controlling the details of their life, threatening them if there were uprisings or rebellions that they would kill them and destroy their city. And Rome did that. Rome did that a lot. If there were insurrections under the Roman Empire, your city was just gone. It was just gone. Just gone. It's like, you guys rebelled. You're too much trouble. You're all, <laughs> stay here. You're dead. Go somewhere else. We're destroying your city. And they actually did do that again to Jerusalem. They, they, they leveled it in the year 70 AD after another rebellion. But just imagine the mental oppression of living under that. Like we think we've got it bad with COVID stuff. Like 1300 bucks is a lot, but it's no, you're dead. You know what I mean? And so here are these people, totally oppressed, and not only just oppressed by the government, but feeling like, because the Romans are here, God must be mad at us. Because if we were being blessed, they wouldn't be here. We'd be independent, we'd be winning our battles, we'd be rolling in the dough, we'd be, we'd be happier. So the fact that the Romans are here, uh, it must mean that, that there's problems with us and God. And we're semi-rejected. And so even amongst the Jews, there were these movements of purity. And the Pharisees were this purity movement, trying to get people to live right for once so that God could stop punishing them with the Romans and he could kick the Romans out and they could be free again. And that's part of why the Pharisees were so like tense with Jesus. They're like, we're trying to get holy so that God can get rid of these Romans. And so stop messing up with our attempts at, at fixing this stuff spiritually. So this is kind of the emotional background of, of this story we're going to read together. The people were beginning to really hope this is the one. This is that king who God was going to raise up who's going to finally drive out the Romans. This is this prophet that God promised who would finally arrive and make us really holy people. So that we don't have to be rejected by God anymore. And we could finally just like, like, like they promised, just sit under our grapevine and enjoy some food without any oppression or any fear amongst our borders. We'd finally have that blessing that God promised us in our land. And now Jesus has been working up all these miracle stories and all this celebrity and like, this, this is probably it. Could it be it? I think it's it. We should hope. We shouldn't hope. It's too soon. It's too late. So much emotional pressure around this, this event. So I'm going to read this story. It's about half of chapter 21 of the Gospel of Matthew. And I want us to hear Jesus sort of embracing the excitement and yet proving that he was a man first committed to obeying his father's will and then 
beginning to do something pretty radical that's going to shake people's expectations and start taking things in a wrong way. Because even though the people at the beginning of this Holy Week were really hoping they were going to get freedom from the Messiah, by the time the week was over, Jesus was going to be dead and everyone's going to be disappointed, except for a few people who he appeared to. So let's hear the word of God together. And when they drew near, that's Jesus and his disciples, to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, so that's a city near Jerusalem, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. You can hear their hope right there. This is the king, King David's real son. He's come. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Woohoo! Woohoo! This is it. Hooray! Hooray! We're going to win. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet, Jesus, from Nazareth of Galilee. And here's where things go a little weird. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, which meant like offended and mad. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise these are the very words of god all right so first thing i want to make a point about is in this huge moment of hype and excitement and energy and emotion i worship jesus for keeping his eyes focused on pleasing his father have you guys ever been part of a really big crowd Have you ever been like the object of praise of maybe, I don't know, 20,000 people or something like that? Yes? Just just this one over here, yeah. Noodle finger himself doing the tippity-tappity someday. You know, we, we love to be excited about people. We love to have our celebrities. But one of the things I've noticed is that the great, the fastest way to ruin your life is to become a celebrity. If you want to just have the world turned upside down and start doing terrible things that you think are wonderful things, if you want to start thinking you're better than everybody and so you start treating everyone like garbage, if you want to think that you can get away with murder and therefore actually try to murder people, just become a celebrity. 
These are the craziest times. Celebrities are crazy people. And I'm sure there's a couple sane ones, and I'm sure there's a couple decent ones, but they're the ones who would admit, yes, other celebrities are crazy people. They're crazy. And it's not entirely their fault. Part of it's how regular people treat them when they become famous, right? Start treating them like they're not human anymore. We start treating them like they're better than other people. We start treating them like their opinions are more important than facts or God's word or whatever. It's an unhealthy relationship. It's a kind of bondage. I don't think we should do it. But in this story with Jesus, we have Jesus showing up and he is at the height of celebrity. There are hundreds, thousands of people treating him like he is the thing that they've been hoping for for hundreds of years. The true king of David When people are singing that, they're almost literally saying, we will kill and die for you. You're the great king, the military leader. We want to make you our leader. We will kill and die for you. And when they confess, this is the prophet, they're saying, we think you're next to God himself. We will do whatever you say. If you say jump, we will say off of which cliff? And they're waving these these branches and putting their cloaks on the ground. Now, this isn't a palm branch, I'm pretty sure. This is a clipping from one of the plants in our prayer room upstairs, which is the only like nice-looking plant I have access to right now. So again, thank you, Agatha, for watering these things. And I'm just borrowing this. I'll go put it back when I'm done. No harm, no foul, right? That's not really how it works. But all these people are waving these branches. And as far as we understand it, did some research last night with the fam jam. And uh, the palm branch was like a national symbol for Jerusalem, for Israel. And so when they're waving these things, it would be like when we, if we were at a parade and waving our Canadian flag at the prime minister or something like that. It's like, you're the king. They're waving these things. You're the king. They put them down before the king. You're the king. They put their cloaks. Like, how important would you have to think somebody is for you to take off your shirt and put it for them to walk on, for their donkey to walk on? <laughs> the donkey walks on my jacket. I hope that's all it does on my jacket, but at least it can walk on my jacket. So just this is a moment of potential even hysteria. And what is Jesus thinking about when he has these crowds going crazy for him? His vision is completely on. I I want to keep fulfilling the will of my father. I just, he's so commanded and so controlled by scripture and to please his father. So much so that like this is the big event where he's the center of everything and he's going to go into Jerusalem and he's like, okay guys, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this right. I need a donkey. Because a couple hundred years ago, a prophet named Zephaniah prophesied this event and he said, when I go into Jerusalem, I'm going to be on a donkey. And so I need that donkey. And he sends his guys, two disciples, hey, it's gonna look like, it's gonna look like grand theft mule. You guys just go over here, there's gonna be a donkey tied up, you feel free to take it. And if somebody asks you what you're doing, you just say the Lord needs it, and they're gonna say, okay, we're all in. So it's not, it's not stealing. This is one of these moments where you're up to the edge, and I wouldn't recommend anybody trying this. Where's your car? Where's my car? Well, Pastor Rob, you said I could just tell you the Lord needed it, so I'll have it back to you in a month. 
I'd probably roll with it. But anyhow, he sends off his disciples. They bring back a donkey and the whole parade into town by Jesus doing this for him is 100% about him just fulfilling the will of his father. And by doing that, he's nullified all the praise of man, all the criticism of man, all the pressure of man, worrying about what people say. He's just, he's nullified it. He's on God's donkey. Humble, the king, but not totally caring that people are all whipped up about the fact that he's a king. Someone should write a song about a humble king. What do you think, Greg? (laughs) I was just thinking, you know how you're leading worship and it's still March? (laughs) We made a deal, man. Next point. This humble king who refuses to be dominated by um, people's praise, people's excitement... When he gets to Jerusalem, instead of kind of doing what you might think, like what would you do? Sit around, let people praise you all day? I don't know. He heads to the temple and he trashes the place. Now, are there any uh, football fans here? I'm trying to really cater to the football fans a little bit because I don't know anything about football. But I'm going to cater to you. So there was like a Super Bowl recently and somebody won it. Who was it again? Tom Brady, the man, Tom Brady, single-handedly won the Super Bowl against an entire team. He was quarterback, running back, fullback, three-quarter fullback, one and six-eighths fullback. How many backs do you need to be a good football player? I don't even know. Whatever. So Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Okay, so they won this thing, but it's kind of COVID time. Even though in Florida, they're like leading the way and not carrying anymore um and so they couldn't have their parade down the street and so instead they had a floating parade they're gonna have a boat parade right and so they're having this boat parade and i guess down in florida you have enough water where you can actually have a boat parade so it's not like the rat river around here or our our own stony brook like we're named after a brook that you cannot find does anybody know where that brook is it's over by the library and the only time it has water in there is when after a flash flood, so you can't have a boat parade in Steinbeck. Sorry, don't get your hopes up. But in Florida, you can have a boat parade. Now, anyhow, during this boat parade, if you win the Super Bowl, you get this trophy. Does anybody know what the trophy is called? This is the real test of the day. Pardon? The Lombardi Trophy. Thank you. Somebody's cleaning up here, guys. You're, you're going to be my friend in Final Jeopardy. They got this big trophy, and... Tom Brady decides to throw it from one boat to the other. And this thing's like seven pounds of metal. So what, what happens if they miss? It's gone. Now, fortunately, these people are all like professional throwers and catchers for a living. Like supposedly they're one of the, some of the better ones at throwing things to other people and catching it. So it worked out okay. But the whole parade just got turned into people were like thinking like what would have happened if it went bad? If you won the Super Bowl and then you throw, threw the trophy to the bottom of the ocean or whatever it is. Like, not cool, dudes. And so it's just like, eh, it just went, it was supposed to be this and it, eh, it went sideways. It was supposed to be a celebration eh, and then you just look dumb. It's supposed to be something cool and eh, you just look reckless. 
Now, this is kind of like a moment for this, because this is supposed to be the celebration of the Messiah coming into town, the greatest party of all time. And the first thing Jesus does in this telling of the Gospels is he goes to the temple, which is his father's house, and then he starts going like... I'm a good father. But it would have been like that. Right? Nobody expects anybody to kick something over in the middle of the message. It would have felt just like that. Here's the king. Hooray. Why is he wrecking everything in the temple? And this is because Jesus cares about people praying so much. Here, I'm going to fix that. That's actually the second time I've done it today, and I'm beginning to form a habit. So the temple, when Jesus showed up to it, it had this outer court, which, as I understand, it was meant to be the court of the Gentiles, and it was meant to be the place where anybody could come and pray to the God of Israel. But the whole worship in the temple had become big business. So people would travel from all over the known world to come to Israel to sacrifice to God there. Jews from Rome, Jews from Egypt, Jews from many other places, they would all come and they would travel there. And of course, they didn't want to haul like a cow or an ox for a thousand miles to come and sacrifice it there. So what they would do is they would make money and they would collect the coins and then they travel and then they would purchase something in Israel. And, of course, when you're going to do that, what does that build? That builds this whole industry around providing animals for sacrifice, as well as a whole industry about coin changing, because people would be coming with their Egyptian coin, and maybe they're meant to pay the temple tax in the Jerusalem coin or something like that. And so there became this big business around money changing, as well as having animals on site for people to buy in order to fulfill their sacrifices. And they, for some reason, whatever the reason is, they decided to take part of the temple itself to make it that business section. And I'm sure, though I can't prove it, but I, it makes sense to me that somebody was probably renting out those slots as a money-making scheme for the temple. Like, yeah, you can do your money changing actually in the temple grounds, but you're going to owe me 10% or 20% or 50% or something like that. So Jesus shows up to the temple and... He finds this temple not full of prayers, but full of transactions. And he gets violent. I think this is the only story of Jesus getting violent. I don't know how angry he was. I doubt he was in some kind of berserker rage. But he starts breaking things, driving people out of the temple. And people are watching this, of course, stunned. This isn't normal. This doesn't happen when we come to worship. This is, you know, you show up on time, welcome song, Greg does a devotional, three or four songs, then you share your announcement, maybe you might pray, Rob does some weird stuff, then you go home, you have some Mattishlope and some Fospa, and then you go to bed Sunday. Boom. Sunday done. Boom, boom, boom. Sunday. Like, give me 5,000 Sundays and I'm dead. And all of a sudden, the king is wrecking things. Wouldn't you want to listen to why he's upset? Okay, this is what he says. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's what he sees as not happening. 
That's what he sees as missing. That's what he sees as being interfered with by making it a transactional experience for people, by making it easier and financially viable and making a little dough on the side. The thing that's missing is that the Gentiles and the regulars and the normies are supposed to be in there praying to Jesus' Father. And because it's not happening, we see Jesus as upset as you ever see him in the Gospels. Which is a wonderful thing for us. You might think, oh, why, why is Jesus being upset? A wonderful thing. Well, what's he upset about? He's upset about not enough prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is asking God to do things for you. Prayer is asking God to be generous with you. To be merciful towards you. To be kind towards you. To take care of you. To provide for you. To be nice to you. To love you. To show himself to you. Prayer is asking for God to do things that you don't deserve and can't earn. And the thing that made Jesus most upset in his life, as far as we can tell, was that somebody was stopping people from coming to God and experiencing his generosity. My father is not being allowed to be generous enough with people. And it's ticking me off. <laughs> that's what the, that's what's going on here. Behold the Lord. He wants to be more generous with us. Hello? Behold your God. Jesus trashed the temple because big business was getting in the way of God's generosity, of him doing things for free, of him taking care of needy people for nothing. Hello? I did this last week and I threw out my, my neck really bad. And I regretted it for two days. And then on the third day I forgot. And so here we are again. Church... Palm Sunday, the king comes to his home and is trying to get rid of everything that keeps us from experiencing the fatherhood of God, which is generosity unearned. He says, you guys are taking up the space where, where, where broken people are meant to be coming and saying, I'm sorry for my sin and please give me by grace, Father. And he got rid of all of it. He got rid of all of it. In one sense, this is just a picture of what he did on the cross. Because just throwing out money changers doesn't actually forgive sin or bring people close to God. And so he went to the cross to die for sin, to be punished for sin, in order to be the one who would remove every single thing that would keep anyone from coming to God. No matter who you are or what you've done or how you feel or what you think, if you want to come to God, Jesus has opened up the door completely so that you can come to him completely. And not so that you can just be like a workaday slave to God and try to re-earn your relationship with God every day and be stuck in a point system. I hope today my good points have outweighed my bad points. I hope today, yeah, we need a special time where you can put the times 10 modifier on good points so that you can really rack up a few hundred thousand good points this month and then maybe you'll have some bad times the next month. But you bring it up, it's over, it's gone, it's killed, it's killed. It's as dead as Jesus' body on the cross. It's gone, it's dead. And now by faith we come to Jesus and he's like, this is my temple, the place where you get grace, the place where you get kindness, the place where you get generosity, the place where you get to call the God of the universe daddy. And everything that's not that needs to go. That's good news. And for us, I think, you know, it it challenges me just to keep I have so many bad thoughts about prayer. 
Prayer is a drag. Prayer is boring. Prayer is a duty. Prayer is a punishment. Prayer is a waste of time. Prayer is lonely. Prayer is ineffectual. Prayer is blah, 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 blah. But Jesus trashed the temple to prove the fact that prayer is coming to a generous father who wants to respond. Because if prayer doesn't work, then yeah, like, let's just make money. Why don't we just make money? If prayer doesn't work, make money. Like, money works. Amen? Money works. And I think that's one of the things that slows us down. It's because in our hearts, we wouldn't mind a little bit of a cut on those exchanges. Because when God doesn't answer, at least we still have money. And Jesus is like... So we need to pray. We got to pray. What a blessing to pray. What a an honor to pray. What a gift to pray. To hear Jesus say, "Hey, if you you fathers, you know you're evil, but if your sons come to you and they ask for bread, you don't give them a snake. You're not like, "Oh, you're hungry. Here's fangs in your neck." How much more so will your father in heaven give to those who ask for him? He's he's the best dad. Okay, finally, last point, still on this slide. When Jesus had kicked that stuff out of there and declared his house a house of prayer, who shows up? It says, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. And that's when people started getting upset. These kids are singing to you and they're these blind and lame people in our holy place. This is no good, they say. And I just want to end by pointing to that. So blind means you can't see, and technically lame means that you have one of your legs not working so that you can't really walk properly or run properly or something like that. But how do we use the word lame? Do young people still word, any, anybody who's a teenager, do you still use the word lame? Like that's so... Lame. What do we mean by that? Like stupid, not strong, waste of time. Well, yeah, that's where it comes from. Like if you can't walk and it's broken and so it can't perform well, it can't be the best, it can't be the strongest. It's lame. So that's why we use this. This thing is not performing well. It's not doing great. It's not one of the best. It's not worthy of celebrating. It's not worthy of a a trophy. It's lame. But when Jesus comes to his temple, who does he gather to himself? The lame, the losers, the husbands, the wash-ups, the burnouts, the skeezers, the broken, the stressed out, the depressed, the anxious, the rejects, the loners, the frustrated, the goofy, the weirdos, the skids. Do they use that word anymore, skids? There were skids when I was growing up. And this is one of the weirdest things about Jesus, because so often when somebody's obsessed with doing God's will, they often become somebody who's unattractive. But here's Jesus, totally holy and totally attractive to the kind of people who can tell if you're a faker or not. And, and they want him. That's 
they finally finding a home in the presence of God in the temple with Jesus. And I, I want to be there with Jesus. I want to be lame. Because the point of being a Christian isn't becoming not lame anymore. The point of being a Christian is being lame with the king. And the king heals us, absolutely, takes us from glory to glory, but we're never supposed to like get past needing him all the time. And we're never supposed to become his peer. We love the king. We, we get it. He's the Messiah. He's the prophet. He's the healer. He's the smart one. He's the strong one. He's the hero. We get to be the blind and lame people in the presence of his father, which is our gift. And I got, I'm going to keep harping on this probably because when you're in a city that's got a long history of being Christians, you can forget that the point of being a Christian is to be a lame with Jesus and to be an outcast with Jesus and to be broken with Jesus and to be strung out with Jesus and to have weakness with Jesus and to fail with Jesus and to be, be unimpressive with Jesus. And yes, he heals us. But I've been a Christian for like 20 years now. I don't feel any stronger when I, than when I started. But I know God. And I know he's not going anywhere. Are there any older Christians who think that this is kind of what it's like? Am I the only one here? Sometimes you get a bit stronger, but then sometimes you get a bit weaker. I see no other hands here. Okay, I'm going to have to start another church. Church for lamos. I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But like, guys, in the dark of the night, don't you know in your heart that you're not as impressive as you wish you were? And doesn't it ever make you feel afraid that other people are going to find out that you're not as impressive as you wish you were? And then you might get rejected or you might be left alone or you might not be able to be on the team anymore. You might not be able to do anything anymore. And here's the king on his king day. This is the height of his ministry, wrecking the temple so that the losers can have room there. This, they're his treasure. They're his treasure. And yes, he heals them. But not so that they don't need him anymore. And there's something really healthy about being lamos at in a church. Because there are people who don't know Jesus who feel like lamos. And if they come in here and they think we don't know we're lamos, they're never going to find a home here. In the presence of God. Jesus had to kick out all the stuff that didn't think it was lamos anymore. Let's go back to Tom Brady for a second. Most successful quarterback of all time? Yeah? Most hated quarterback of all time? Yeah. Once you've got five victories, number six is just greedy. Right? He's just doing his due. But because he becomes strong and successful, we resent him. Welcome to the human heart. We start becoming strong, we start becoming successful, and then we either start resenting other people, people start resenting us, the walls go up, the judgment goes up, the barriers come over. But a church full of broken people is very welcoming. 
Because a church full of broken people, they don't forget that this is about Jesus. He's the whole one. He's the healthy one. He's the mentally healthy one. He's the one with the best bod. It has a bunch of holes and a stab wound in it. He's the king. Let's not try to be the king. Let's all be happy to not be the king. Go away, kingship. You belong to Jesus. Amen? So, let's be so unsuccessful. I feel like I'm going back to where I started. Let's be so unsuccessful with our eyes fixed on Jesus, loving his word. Let's stop competing. Full of worship. You're welcome to try and, and, and want to get better. Amen. You'll get better the more it's all about Jesus. Amen. I feel like a crazy person. Can the band come and rescue me here? I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, I, I just worship you at the height of your power and influence. You sabotaged it to be with the lame and the blind in your father's house. Father, you know I'm blind. You know I'm so lame. I just want you to be my home, God. Thank you so much for Jesus. He's so strong. He defeated every temptation of the devil. He won when every other person would have fallen. And he really loved every person who came to him without condemnation. He came to save Thank you, Jesus, for surviving the cross. I probably would have quit if I was faced with that kind of torture. I probably would have just wanted to save my skin. Jesus, here you are, the one who loves us, the one who makes so much room for us, the one who accepts us before we change and helps us to change, but without making our change into an idol. So, Lord, I want to say I love you. I know we love you. And on this Palm Sunday, I pray that we would worship you as the king. In our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen.